Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Precursa, the startup journey. And if you are joining us for the first time, our conversation today is going to be awesome. But make sure that you go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes because this podcast is really about Precursa, our journey, and the journey of an entrepreneur starting a startup. Like, how do you go from idea to turning that into a real thing to getting your first customer to turning it into a business to potentially an exit or or just a really great business that can become a legacy business or whatever it is you're up to, right? So make sure you go back, listen to the previous episodes, get yourself caught up. But today, I'm so excited because we are joined by Charles Fred, who is an American entrepreneur and researcher who's best known for his body of work positively influencing the success of small businesses. In 2014, he and his daughter co-founded True Space, which is a firm that helps entrepreneurs move from the startup phase to the middle market. And over his nearly 40-year career, Charles has founded and led three companies into that middle market space, generating over $220 million in enterprise value. Needless to say, his wisdom, experience, and heart for entrepreneurs is a fantastic addition to this segment. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Charles. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Cynthia. This is going to be a fun conversation today, I think. Yeah, I'm super, super, super excited. So why don't you just start by telling telling everyone a little bit about yourself, how you became an entrepreneur, and then what you're working on today in True Space, which is like so exciting. <laughs> Well, how I became an entrepreneur is probably very similar to people that are listening to, to you and me today. You know, I, I started my career back in the, the early 80s, which dates me. You know, this people can at least peg <laughs> out how old I am today. But I You're was, in very uh, good company. <laughs> I was unemployable. Uh, and when I really think about, um, I, I did have a good career at the Boeing company early on, but I always wanted to start something. I wanted to do something on this earth that hadn't been done before. Uh, the businesses that you and I will speak of today and all of our listeners are building novel businesses. They've never been built. There's no pattern <laughs> other than get going and try it and get get started. So when you get out in that in that journey, you, you can't you can't really turn back. <laughs> and you know, forty plus years later, I'm here I am, you know, doing kind of the same kind of thing. So so I think, you know, whether we get in there accidentally or not, I think those of us that build businesses and lead people within those businesses are special. And it's what I have dedicated my life to do now is to help those people figure out how to do that and possibly in what we call a predictable way. And that's part of my message probably to you today. But but I would never look back. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I think, uh, you know, you can, you can be happy when maybe you win, but you can be wise when you lose. And yes. so part of the cycle of this is how much can we learn and collectively how much can we learn maybe that's the whole thing yeah uh, one thing i wanted to, to discuss today just uh just to get a kind of a yeah. framework of what this this might feel like you know today if you think about 2022 and businesses that are, uh, are are creating jobs today when i started my career just to put a framework out there in the early 80s 
the largest 500 companies in the United States, known as the Fortune 500, employed eight out of 10 people, either Whoa. directly or indirectly, either directly working for them or the suppliers that supported them. Wow. And today, the top 500 support basically on a comparative basis, us employ about 30%. Wow. So the job creators are us. We have to step up and create the jobs. It's changed that much in that period of time. So, so it's time for us to talk about job growth. In addition to building businesses, we have to build businesses that create jobs. Create jobs. And, what, and what is the impetus for that switch? I mean, that's a, that's a dramatic change. I don't know the exact pivot that, we, that, that has been taking place, but a lot has to do with uh, the consumer. Um, and the ability for these large businesses. If we think back into the, the, again, that time frame I talked about, the big businesses were like an IBM, uh, General Motors, sure, uh, DuPont, uh, big businesses. They're still big businesses. But if you think about what's happened with the, uh, you know, just the body of, of people that have grown now, because the population of the world has changed a lot in that period of time too, yeah. that we've got to be able to support a whole different ecosystem of businesses, consumerism, all those things that have taken place since then. And then overlay uh, access to technology. You know, when I started right. also to build a tech business, you needed millions of dollars. You needed a facility with server farms and all kinds yeah. of things. Today, <laughs> Azure, AWS, you can get a business started pretty quick. Yeah. And I, so I think it, it's all at play. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is that I, I want to make certain that the message for me, my mission in life, and so is Jamie, my, my co-founder and my daughter, is really to help companies expand and create more jobs because with the jobs in the businesses of the size that we're speaking to today, yeah, people can build lives and careers and yeah. families. And that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, there's no better way to give back as an entrepreneur than to create a job. Yeah. There's no better way. I love that. I love that. And talk to me a little bit. So there's this phrase we hear oftentimes and it's kind of, met with, particularly when you're talking to like investors, it's sort of met with like a, oh yes, that, that. But there's something in here that I think we could reframe for people. And and what I'm speaking about is the term lifestyle business or legacy business, right? There's this There's this perception that if you're not building something for this enormous exit, it doesn't have value. And mostly the re mostly, like I said, that comes from investors. And so we we kind of wonder like, how does a company that could be a great business and to your point make create a lot of jobs and create value in the economy and like, you know, innovate and create new technologies? How do you reframe lifestyle business or legacy business so that people get excited about it? This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day -day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. So let me see if I can and start with some reframing. Um, True Space, the, the name of the firm that Jamie and I lead, is the space between 1 million and 10 million. It's basically following up from a startup and trying to reach the early middle markets. Mm -hmm. And there's 2.1 million businesses in the U.S. in that space. Wow. We validated that with our work at Gallup um, over the last 10 years. Um, 
And there's been about 2.1 million uh, businesses, Cynthia, in that space for 44 years. That wow. hasn't changed a lot. Just wow. think about that for a second, four decades plus, right? Yeah. So what's happening within that space, um, that true space, is that we think there's about 360 to 380,000 of the 2.1 million that have entrepreneurs that are still aspire to grow. Yeah. So what this stems from is that building a business is different than starting one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we as a nation have a very, very loud voice around start, 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 right? Mm -hmm. um, we need to start a lot of businesses, don't get me wrong, but we're kind of drunk on the startup. And yeah. building one is, is the party's over and now you got to go change what you're doing and get it built. So a lot of entrepreneurs do that. They, they get into the build stage. They have customers and employees. It's a different job. Uh, it's a different risk profile. You've got to go potentially raise more capital. You've got to do a bunch of different things. And if they get to a place that where you can metaphorically reach the side of the pool and they don't have to swim anymore, they're like, you know, this isn't a bad spot. I can <laughs> pay myself. I don't need a job. I can golf three days a week, whatever those things are. That's become a lifestyle. Um, we believe that our, our assessment that we built with Gallup which is a capability assessment, would show people they have great capability for growth. They're just not using it. Yeah. And that's what I want to be able to do because that's the, there's 17 million jobs locked up in that space between one and million, uh, one and 10 million. Really? 17 million jobs potential there if we just started growing a little bit in, in, in businesses that are, have kind of reached that lifestyle. So um, now I don't have any negative things to say about lifestyle businesses because they're also great employers. Yeah. But my mission in life, good or bad, is job growth. Yeah. So if I can get somebody who's kind of at the side of the pool to get back in and swim again and grow at maybe 15 to 30% a year for three years, yeah. and they had 50 employees and they now have 100, this is a huge win yeah. uh, for everybody, hopefully yeah. for everybody. But, so, however, to do that, we've got to be able to put some resources mm -hmm. and some help into businesses that don't know how to build it. They got yeah. there, but they don't know what to do now. Yeah. Uh, that's true space. That's what we do. Um, so, so I'm glad you asked the question because I, I think the collective group of businesses across the country with people that are running them and entrepreneurs, that's where my heart is. Yeah. So whether you choose to grow or not is really not my, that's not my, my call to make, but I, I would love to have people say, what if, yeah. what if we found a way to grow? Yeah. As an entrepreneur yourself, but also now you have a, you know, you have a business where you are helping entrepreneurs get to that next level. What would you say is the difference between the traits and qualities of a founder in that in that beginning phase where we really are starting up and we're building something new versus when you when you get to that point where you say, OK, now now we got to do something different in order to grow this into that middle market space. What's the difference between those two founders? And can the same person be those two founders? Let me ask, answer your last question first. Absolutely. In fact, the data suggests that, you know, we now have well over 3,000 businesses we've been studying with Gallup's help for over seven years. Wow. Do not change the founder. That has been really? one of the biggest mistakes being made across this country that people say, well, the person that started it is not the person that can grow it or build it. And, you know, we, we push this person aside that has all of the passion and, and, and uh, institutional know-how, relationships with customers, with a professional manager, whatever in the world that means, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> and what we've been able to do is track the businesses that did change out the founder 
And I uh, just want to put a statistic out there, less than 1% chance of making that change. I want you to think about that. 100 companies, oh. let's, just put the tech, let's just put the data out there. 100 companies that would make that change, only one of them was successful. 99 either stalled or failed. Whoa. I now just let's talk about why that is. That. Let's just talk about, let's, let's put context to why. Yeah. When you bring somebody new in following a startup, a startup is still testing. Even in the build phase, you're still testing the market fit. Sure. You're still testing people's, everything from pricing to product to supply chain. You're testing everything. Yeah. And until you really get to the middle markets, you don't have that flywheel effect. You're still testing, testing, testing. Yeah. When you pull out the person that built that model, that constructed it, that led it, that brought in the talent for it, and you push them aside and bring a new person in, no matter how brilliant the new person is, they still will need six months to eight months to 10 months to 12 months to learn even fractionally what the what the build is. Secondly is they will shift things because that's what good leaders do. Sure. And there's three resources that we are, are short of at that period of time. The time in the day, the yeah. capital we have, and the talent we have. Yeah. And what you do is you exhaust that while that person, that new person is trying to figure it out. And what you do is you run out of resources before you have a chance to actually make the change. Yeah. Now, there are exceptions outside of our model. I want you to know that and your, and your listeners. The exceptions are to go to Silicon Valley and raise 50 to 200 million in capital. Okay. That will buy you enough time to do all kinds of things. But mathematically, just think about how many businesses don't have that chance. No. Um, most of the people that are listening to us today have not, do not have the ability to go into Silicon Valley and raise some huge amount of money. Yeah. So the rest of us have to figure this out. And, and, and so where does the source come from? It comes from investors or people wildly impatient with natural growth. Yeah. And so the impatience is push Cynthia aside bring in Charles and Charles is going to figure it all out or vice versa. Right. Um, and I will tell you one out of 100, one out of 100 Gosh. is a number I want people to remember. So let's, Gosh. what's the alternative? What's the alternative Yeah, is that the founder can learn how to build. The founder can learn how to build. Starting a business is not simple, but building one is complex yeah. and we can figure this out. We can show the data. There's 12 systems we can show within a company that you can see where the capability is and you can see where to spend your time, where to deploy your capital and where to put your people and start building. And my last message on this whole thing is I am always in a hurry. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> but when outsiders come in and tell you, Cynthia, you need to grow at least a hundred percent this year. And the capability of the business is only 20% and you miss it by 80%. Everything kind of falls, starts falling apart from that one bad push. You want to build the capability for growth and then figure out how you can grow. So rapid growth is, uh, as you know, from probably from the Inc. 5000, uh, Gary Kunkel is a word that most or a, a person that many people on your on your uh, listening group should should look up. Okay. He was the uh, chief economist at the Inc. 5000, okay. um, started building something called the Build 100, which was to say how many people on the Inc. 5000 are retained on the top end. And the sad part is, is very few actually make it to their third year. And so why is that? His conclusion is that we grew, we grew fast enough. We didn't learn why we, why we grew and we can't replicate it. So rapid growth isn't going to help us. Rapid, okay. rapid, fast, fast, fast isn't going to help us. Yeah. What's going to help us is understanding the capability within the firm across 12 systems that we can see and, and building it up. And sorry for such a long answer to this, but no. don't change out the person that started the business. 
Yeah, that's unless a- they are unless they are really flawed leaders or something. Yeah. So yeah, there's always an exception. Sure. But that is just such a such a, a bad move yeah. um, for so many reasons. I, I love what you're saying, and I I wonder that I have two different questions. I'll start with the first one, which is, are you ever done with product market fit? Like, does there come a time when you go, oh, we're good, we're moving along, like we never have to talk to customers or ask those kinds of questions again? Or is that something that, in order to be a successful business over any period of time, you you constantly have to like? I just wonder, are you ever done with product market fit? You know, I only go to businesses that have maybe, you know, I think our, our top are in the 30 million range. So this doesn't speak to bigger businesses. Sure. So I just want to make sure I qualify my sure. answer. The fact of the matter is you have to test it continuously. And we have two places that we look at. One is this, this is paradoxical. So it's hard sometimes to think through, but the more you focus your service or your product at the earlier stages of the company, the more you will grow. Okay. So I want the data that we have with Gallup, again, uh, thousands of companies uh, that are between one and 10 million, but in a service business, let's talk about service market fit versus product market fit, right? The service offering that you have. Yeah. The businesses that make it to the middle markets um, somehow figure out how to have a tight enough market with their offer that they're winning 85% of their deals. I want you just to think about that for a minute because most of the CRM systems that we have today make us feel really good about 15%. And, and so when you have an 85% waste in your product market connection, in other words, your offer to connect, offer to close, and you're okay with that, it takes an enormous amount of time and capital to, to feed that funnel. So what you wanna be able to do is tighten that up, get to a place where you stand out, you can win a huge percentage of your deals with your time, your capital, and your talent, and then you start growing. And now when you get bigger, you can widen it out. I'm, I'm convinced of it. So that's, that has to do with products as well. It has to do with tech as well. So the more you focus, the actually, the more initially that you're going to grow. And then when you get to a position where you actually now have some authority or a position, you can expand. But if you do it too quickly, you just exhaust all of your resources. You just yeah. run, out of, run out of runway for every, every resource you have. Yeah. That's why it's so darn important. And that's so interesting because you said, you know, it ta- and, and you're right, you bring in a different founder and it takes them up to a year, maybe even more sometimes. And that is wasted time. It's time that you're not spending tweaking and pouring gas on the fire. It's time that you're spending like, like re-ramping up or, or relearning what you already knew. Right. Let me give you something else on that same topic. It didn't ask, but it's affiliated in the question set. Um, So remember, I have all this data that's, that's dispassionate. I'm not, it's not my opinion or my judgment. It's just the data. Yeah. Um, so companies that were struggling on a year-over-year basis to meet sales forecasts, um, on average, uh, were, were changing out their sales leadership every two years, wow. basically every two, two fiscal cycles or two annual cycles. Um, and when they would change them out, they actually had a regression in revenues for at least the next year. And then that person would last a year, they'd change them out. It's this constant cycle of thinking that you can go manipulate the way you sell something. Um, and yet back to your market fit and your product and your service and where you're at, you have to fix that problem before any great salesperson can be successful. Yeah. But for some reason we keep thinking that we can hire, that we can hire a fix, just like hiring a CEO to place the founder or hiring a new salesperson to replace a bad sales process. None of the data supports it. And yet we keep doing it as a practice across the country because it's like, it's this reaction. I could see, for example, a, you know, a board meeting or advisory meeting and 
And somebody comes to you, Cynthia, you've only grown 30% this year and you said you were going to grow 100 and you're going, what's going on? When are you going to become a 100% growth company, right? And, and they're thinking, well, maybe we need to replace Cynthia or maybe we re need to replace their salesperson because it's just not working. Well, think about the lunacy of that chain of thinking because the cause and effect of that is that you've got to go back all the way back and say, do we know why we exist as a firm? Are we in a market where we can win? Do we know our high value customers? And work there, work in that part of the strategy. Don't work in the symptomatic part because it never, it never turns good. Yeah. Then you run that offense, like you said, for two years and pretty soon you've got no credibility. Nobody have confidence in you anymore. And then they're going to replace you thinking that's going to work. And then one out of 100. Oh my gosh. Works. So, and, you know, I think, I think Jim Collins calls that the doom loop or something yes. like that. But it's, <laughs> It's not, it's not where we want to go, but we're, we have a lot of companies, unfortunately, in that space. So there's a much better way to do this. And it, it, almost, it almost seems like we're forgetting we did grow 30%. And what, what is a reasonable expectation for growth, especially for the companies that you, know, you have all the data on and that you work with in, in your organization? Like if I came to you and said... We grew 20% last year. Are we cheering about that? Or should we be aiming for 70%? Or is it really dependent on the business? I mean, how do you even know what the right growth target is for where you are and what you're doing in your company? Um, it's actually uh, more fundamental than you might think. We just have to go to that live questioning that you just asked. So um, I think you've seen our framework. Um, mm -hmm. I know that you've seen that. We have five conditions. We, we've identified 12 systems we can measure predictably in your company. So if, you, if you're in the building stage, in other words, you have a product or service that's ready to replicate, or yeah. not replicating yet, but it's ready to go. Yeah. Uh, you have 12 systems that we can see. You have 11 systems in your body, by the way, nervous system, digestive system, endocrine system, so forth. There's 12 in a business. We proved, we, we, we proved this with our help at you know, our, our, uh, our research friends uh, out there. So so when the, the first thing that we want to do is ask the right Socratic question. And the one that never gets asked, unfortunately, is are we capable of growing? Huh. Not, not 30, 150, but are we actually capable of growing? And we believe that there's, there's, there's three systems that will actually figure that out. The first part of that capability has to be around the focus of a set of resources. If you have limited resources of the amount of time you have each day collectively with you and your team, limited capital and limited talent, talent. we need to know what their capability is before we go jump and say we're going to grow 100%. We need to know, back to your testing part, are, do we really have identified a customer that will help us grow? There's only two types of customers, as, as you know, our, our thesis. Ones that help you grow and ones that tear your business apart. Yes. So. You've got, you can only grow with a high value customer that's going to retain, re promote, or, or move forward with you. How do we get those? What are the basic assumptions that we have around capturing that customer? What's it taking time? What's it taking take money? And what do they contribute to the organization? So fundamentally, that's actually fairly simple to figure out. And then we can come back and say, we are capable of growing, but unless we change something this year, we can only grow at X percent. Mm. And at least start at this baseline of saying, good, got it. It's kind of like, let's say you and I, you know, we, we are, we're someplace and we had a little too much to drink and we decide <laughs> that what we really want to do is run a marathon um, in June, even yeah. though we're, you know, we've had, because it's, it's our cure <laughs> of, of what we're doing. And where would, do we really just go start running or do we actually go figure out are we capable of 
doing these things? What do we have to do? And huh. our businesses aren't, aren't dissimilar. We have to go figure out what we're actually capable, capable of doing. And so if we start there, then the next place is the cost of, of can we really replicate our service? The only way to reach the middle market is to take the product that you're, or service that you're putting in the hands of a high value customer and replicating that time and again. And that's what, that's what scale is. Scale is actually not larger, bigger, or more like so many people think. Yeah. It's actually unit economic performance one over the other over the other. You know that from your experience, yeah. but some of the best businesses we work with are boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've built this engine that pr- provides, 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 produces, produces, produces at a, at a predictable rate. Yeah. That's how you get there. So. And so the, the, what I'm hearing is the message to founders, to entrepreneurs, to CEOs, to you know, business owners is you got to kind of listen to yourself. Like there's, there's a, you know, there's all this, this information that's coming at you all the time. And, and my, I have a follow-up question to this, but it, but it's like you as the person who's doing this ideating, who has created this thing, you know more about it. You understand more about, you know, to your point, as you, if you started to dig into the systems, you know, that Charles and his company are sort of lay out for you, you would be able to see faster than anyone else where you have opportunity to make improvement and and increase your you know increase the the likelihood and and your ability to grow right and and i feel like especially in the startup world one of the things that happens is we think we need to go raise capital we need money in order to get this done and now you have the outside pressure of investors telling you what they expect, 10x in five years, 10x in five years, 10x in five years. We hear that all the time, all the time, all the time. And what would be your advice to an entrepreneur or to a founder? Maybe there's somebody who's pre-product, pre-revenue. Maybe they've gotten to product and revenue and they're thinking about growing. But all the investors are talking to are sort of putting that pressure and they can feel that it's not right, but they're not sure how to get that next stage of growth without taking capital. Like, What's your advice to them? And how, how do you sort of, you know, thread that needle? Yeah. Let's, let's go back to the resources that we need, right, to yeah. grow. Um, we need time is mm-hmm. the number one resource. And it's, by the way, the number one competitor. You, didn't, you don't need capital if you had an endless amount of time to get things done. That's true. You need capital because what separates, by the way, I was asked this question a couple weeks ago, and, and in no way do I mean it to offend anybody, but it is con- <laughs> it might be controversial. But I was asked in a similar format than you and I are having today, what's the difference between an entrepreneur and an employee? Yeah. And the context was that you've got to build your company with people and all that stuff, and of course you do. Yeah. Um, but an entrepreneur wakes up each day, and he or she has one major responsibility. I have to pay when I get up in the morning for every minute of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month throughout the year. Yeah. That's payroll, payables. I am responsible to pay for those things. Yeah. When I choose to start a business, I have to pay for those. Yeah. You felt this, I know, in building yes. your business today. <laughs> What's an employee do? They get up and they get paid for every minute of every hour, of every week, of every month. Right. So there's a dramatic change in this process. And then you throw an investor into that triad. Um, and what are they trying to do? 
they're basically trying to get a return for that period of time and they're trying to force you to do it faster. Yeah. They're trying to get faster returns on their money. That's what they do. So it's in that really weird category that the loneliest damn job in the world is the entrepreneur that's going, if I don't raise capital, I can't make my payments. I can't make payroll. I can't do this. I can't sell. I can't whatever. Yeah. So we get ourselves into these really, really strange contrived situations with investors. So my first, my first thing to tell you is from our experience is you have to be very intentional with who invests in your business. Yes. And I don't think we are. I don't think we are as a body, including myself in my past, of finding people that, first of all, understand our mission of what we're really trying to do, um, understanding what we are, are trying to accomplish, and, and really can help that, pro that, that business build. The best investment is in a business that you know well, that you know the people if you're an investor, you know the market, and you can actually help with more than money. The best investment is I could put a million dollars into your business, Cynthia, but I can also open a hundred doors for you. Yeah. And then I do get a return and then I see it. Yeah. But if I'm a passive investor, I'm just throwing money into the, into the bucket yeah. and I want 10 X and somebody told me 10 X, my expectations are there. I'm going to do nothing, but just, I'm just going to squeeze Push. you until you pop. Right. Yeah. So, um, one piece of data, I, I'm a data person, as you know. From I know, which research. I love. I love it. It's um, like bring the data, not the drama. <laughs> um, this is going to be difficult. If you're listening to this as you're driving, hang on to the steering wheel for just a minute. Um, the average business in the United States of America that makes it to 10 million in revenue, that, that finally reaches 10 million in revenue, doesn't matter what model, yeah. has been operating for 12 years. Just swallow that one for just a second. So not the overnight success. Think about your models that you're building, the pressure you're putting on yourself, other people putting pressure on you, to double, triple, 10x, all that bullshit we hear from from from, from our friends in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, because it takes time to figure out the fit. Yeah. It takes time to find the body of customers. It takes time to get the talent that you need to grow the business. Yeah. What's interesting is the small percentage that finally do make it, 3% of all businesses formed finally make it to 10 million. So 97% of us don't. Wow. So the 3% that do, getting to 20 million actually only takes an average of three more years. Wow. So if we can figure out how to build, if we can get the base built, the, the foundation built, the, the sky's the limit. We can really then grow. We can, we can figure this out. And so... I, I just wish we could change the narrative, Cynthia, across the country to have a little bit more of a infinite mindset. You know, Simon Sinek's new book is, is dynamite for this, the, you know, the infinite game, because we have such finite thinking. Yeah, and if we you, really if do. If you go back and look at other great research around growth versus fixed mindsets, a growth mindset is thinking 10 years. Yeah. They're not thinking two and an exit. Yeah. They're thinking 10 years. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's granted, think about that. So the 3% that do make it to 10, half of them made it in less than 12. So you gotta, you gotta you know, take the whole mathematical story here. Yep. But a huge percentage of us are gonna take a long Longer. path to get there. And I think by the time we get there, we're, we're great businesses. They're solid foundational businesses when they finally reach there. Yeah, so. because think think about the amount of learning, the amount of input, the the amount of times you've been able to make a mistake, figure out why the mistake was made, correct it, and do something different that was more effective in 12 years, where we're trying to compress that down, you know, the, the 
were called the startup journey, right? And and all so much of what you hear about startups is that overnight success myth, right? And you know, oh, in in a in a thirty minute segment on NPR's How I Built This or whatever, they're talking about this whole journey, and you don't even see the. 10 or 12 or 15 years a lot of times that it takes to get there. I mean, uh, Sarah Blakely, she just exited part of Spanx, you know, and it was the first time she ever took uh, investor money. That was 20 years in the making. And yet the way they make it sound, it's as if she just showed up on the scene, you know, two years ago and here she is a billion dollar company later, right? I just heard on a podcast right before Christmas, um, the speaker was talking about the overnight success of Amazon. Oh my gosh, my, the 30 year overnight success of Amazon. Bezos, you know, everybody thought he was a complete wingnut back in the early nineties <laughs> when he was working on this thing. So it's a, the, I think time passes and we don't, we don't have a clock and we don't figure it out sometimes. But I think this conversation is around the, the false pressures that we put in our business. So for example, if you could take the capital, the time that you have and the talent you have today and build something around capability of growing and then fund it and then fund, a, you know, in other words, understand it. Yeah. You're much better off than raising capital and then spending that capital. Um, we got, we, we, we do some infor- really infor- interesting information and gathering with Gallup's panel, which is the 2,500 companies that we have. And one of the things that's kind of fascinating is when we looked at um, kind of using a natural language processing, you know, where we can, we can take like literally hundreds of, PowerPoint decks and and suck words and phrases out of them for pitches. Wow. I tell you this because it's kind of an interesting factoid, but um, (laughs) the number one reason for raising capital in businesses that are trying to build, which fall into true space, out of everything, it's the last page, it's use of proceeds. You've you've seen this before, right? totally. The the capital pitch, use of proceeds. I always love that word proceeds, proceeds, because that's like, (laughs) really? Okay, that's what they are. is sales and marketing expansion. So I want to put that, I want to, I want to give context to why that's such an important piece of information. Yeah. Um, sales and marketing isn't the way you grow. It's actually the, it's the symptom of growth from the capability to do so. It's the expansion of your product set. It's the, it's, the, it's bringing in more talent. It's all those things. So huh. what we, what, the reason we, we looked for this information is that if that is the number one reason for using new capital, more than likely you will exhaust all of it and you'll be back raising money in a year or two. Really? And it's going to be more use of proceeds, the proceeds is going to be more marketing and sales. So, but, so the reason that you're raising capital is you're having trouble growing at the rate that you said you were going to grow, which yeah. means you're not capturing customers at the rate that you said you're capturing customers. Right. So what are you going to do? You're going to go juice that up and put more salespeople out there, more marketing, and you never went back and fixed the fundamental reason you're not growing in the first place. Which is you're not you're not either messaging you're, you're, correctly, you're, you're not reaching the right customers. So you're pouring gasoline yeah. on a fire that's not yeah. not right. Yeah, this will be controversial too, since you need some of these controversial <laughs> nuggets. I love controversial I, nuggets. I really think that the invention of the CRM has made us all stupid. Like made mm. really smart entrepreneurs stupid. I want you to think about this just for a minute in, in our, so back to that sales and marketing push, right? Yeah. So let's assume that we, we have a close ratio product or service of 15%. Yeah. So it, whatever starts at the lead flow drops out 15%. 
what, what is a CRM telling us? It, it's telling us all we have this massive opportunity at the top of the funnel, right? <laughs> and all we have to do is increase the size of the opportunities, get more leads, stuff more stuff at the top. And if 15% drops out of a bigger number, then you grow. Right. What it's really telling you that you're not paying attention to is you have 85% waste in your sales and marketing process. Yeah. And all you're doing is increasing waste of yeah. capital, time, and talent. That you're just increasing it. Because you're just losing and, and more the, leads. Because what it does is it gives us all these fancy charts that says if you do more there, if you have more sales leads, if you have more sales people, ca capacity, right? Not, cap uh, not capability, but capacity. That's the problem. You know, we, we really focus on this word capability. You have the capability of growing, not the capacity to grow, but the capability. Yeah. Think about the metaphor of a hospital. Its capacity is the number of beds it has. Yeah. How many people it can bring in. Yeah. Its capability is actually the people that can provide care. Yes. And as businesses, we just increase capacity. Capacity, 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 more, more, more. And do we actually have the capability? No, we haven't built the capability yet. So that's why it's so crucial for us to go back and look at these things. And I'd much rather see in a pitch deck really building the infrastructure potentially to acquire uh, at, a, at a more accurate rate. Yeah. Bringing talent in that can keep more customers. We, we, the three structures we call capture, keep, and compete at TrueSpace. So the capture process actually has to be capable of capturing at a predictable rate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hopefully not 15%. Yeah. Keep is then the best way to grow your business is to keep the ones that you have, not yep. look, continue to look for more. Yep. Keep them for another year. Have them promote. Have them renew. Have them whatever. Yep. And oh, by the way, that's another factoid. Since I know you, I'm just throwing them. I'm throwing them at the wall for you. Today, I love it. I love it. <laughs> of the CEOs, 2,500 CEOs across the country, between one and 10 million, we really believe the use of your time is the most strategic decision you can make. So this, this, that's the context. Less than five percent of the total time of a CEO on in that panel of 2,500 is spent on keeping customers. In contrast, in contrast, my face nearly, has a look of disbelief on it right now. Yeah, nearly 30% of their time is on acquiring new. It's all new, 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 more, more, wow. more. So that's again data of are you really spending time as a CEO on the installed base of customers, the ones you already have, making certain they stay, they're happy, they're promoting, they're renewing? Are you really, no, you're spending less, basically less than 5% of your time there. Wow. And that's the business you've already closed. That, well, it's the one that that's the one you that's the base you build from every every month of every quarter of every year is you wow. got to build from there. If that's washing out the bottom, you're just dropping more in the top. So you're spending a whole bunch of time on new stuff, closings. And part of it is I think we get excited about new. I do. Sure. I, I get really excited about new customers. Sure, of course. You know, those tired old ones that are just paying me every month. You know, ah, I'm not going to spend any time there. Um, <laughs> That is fascinating to me. And it, you're right. You're absolutely right in that if we spent less time trying to just pump more leads that we know are still going to close at that same 15% versus analyzing what is it about the leads we're getting? Are they the wrong leads? Are we not talking about you know, what we do correctly? Are we not solving their problem that they have? If you, if you solve that and you got to the point where you were closing 70% of your leads, you wouldn't need any more leads coming in and you would grow your business. And that's what you're talking about when you say, when you deploy capital in that realm, now you can actually make a difference and really grow a business versus just pumping in more leads and being inefficient with what you're doing. That's the waste piece. It is. I mean, it's, uh, 
you know, if you think about capital as fuel, which it is, by the way, yep. um, and you're driving down the road, so you now have more fuel, which means you can drive, you get more time, you bought more time. Yeah. But if you don't change what you're doing with that in, in that period of time, don't expect a different outcome. You're just going to have to go raise more capital. Um, yeah. You know, we have two laws of business building at TrueSpace, which are pertinent for this discussion today. Law number one is if you want your business to change, you have to change the way you lead it. So mm. that's kind of a captain obvious, right? But law number two is the, is the law of systems thinking and systems dynamics. And that is that your, the systems, the 12 systems in your business that we can identify are perfectly designed to produce the results that you see. So we, we've been working with a really amazing business out of Broomfield that now has a, about a $70 million valuation um, that for three years was perfectly designed to lose $300,000 a month. Oh my gosh. They were a venture-backed business. They were also perfectly designed to raise $3.6 million every year for three or four years. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so if, if you don't change that, it, you're just, it's like it's the law. It's inertia. You just keep moving at the same pace in the same direction. You just capital just gave you more time to do that same pace, same direction. Right. Oh so that's the message is we got to get we got to get up above this and we've got to work on the business at, at the top end before you're going to exceed the change at the bottom. And don't raise capital. Do the same thing just longer. Yeah, that's that's my message. When we first started this discussion, yeah. you know, thirty minutes ago, capital is so vital and so important to growing a business. It's it's how you're going to use it that's the important part. So, if you could give, what would you say is the most important, like personality trait or characteristic that that someone needs in order to be a successful founder? The way that the way that we think of success or successful entrepreneur. Let me tell you, maybe let me answer this. And I think it's a great question, by the way. And you know, I've I've only built three businesses, so I'm not really that expert on the, maybe the founder themselves. I've, seen I've only built three businesses. It, well, it's true. <laughs> I mean, I, I really want to put that in context that I I much I'm much more coming to you and your audience today as a researcher and a journalist because I'm I'm telling you what we've observed, not yeah. what I've personally done. I've. I've made every mistake there is 500 times. And I Haven't we all? <laughs> I'm still impetuous, all the things that come with that, right? Yes. But I will tell you what I think uh, the counter of that would be is if you build a business to get rich or make money from the beginning, you're going to be one sorrowful person at the end mm. of it. So are the people that came along the ride. If you saw something on TV, watched Elon Musk for a couple times, and you want to, your persona is to be that person. Um, you're up for a bumpy ride in a really rough, rough time. Yeah. If you start a business to meaningfully make a change, to do something intentional and purposeful, and you can pull people into that into that realm, you're going to be really successful um, no matter what. Even if you have to do this three or four times to get it right, you'll, you'll figure it out. Yeah. But the, the, the greed factor, the, the finite game that, that Simon Sinek talks about is the is the problem that we have in this country is that People think that the, the title of entrepreneur somehow means that I'm going to be the next billionaire with a unicorn, you know, billion dollar valuation. Yeah. And, you know, you think about the 25 million businesses that are operating that are well below that number today. Um, that's just not reality. And it's not it's, it's it's a place where you can get yourself really hung up, especially if you're young and you're first time founder. So now let's get back to founder. I think the courage to be a founder isn't recognized enough in this country. Yeah. You know, not that you're bailing out to get a job. I don't mean that at all because right. we, need, we need everybody's involvement. But when you when you decide to found a business to start something, and especially if you're an employer, this takes some courage. Yeah. 
because you're you're not just involving you you're involving everybody that's connected to you your partner your spouse your kids your family your everybody's now involved in this craziness that you got started and it's your responsibility to keep that if that's what you wanted to do you've got to keep that moving and it gets back to why i say do something intentional and purposeful yeah do that yeah like don't go into a business with a spreadsheet going you know what i figured out a way to make a billion dollars right because it's going to be it's not going to be a great ride for you and you know what the media doesn't love to hear this message because they want to go find the unicorn mm-hmm. the one that got you know the big billion dollar valuation yesterday yep but i think your audience is pre- pretty pragmatic so hopefully yes. it, it, it rings true there yeah it does and it's it's a message that that i'm constantly saying which is if it's about the money that's never going to drive you it's never going to be it's never going to be enough when things get hard and things get hard. Sometimes they get hard and then easy again, like three times in one day, right? That's it's the, it's the roller coaster, especially of an early stage company, the why, which is what you're talking about, that drive, that passion for fixing a problem, changing the world, shifting something. You know, for me, it's the, I think it's ridiculous that nine out of 10 venture backed companies fail. I think it's ridiculous. 90% of the time investors are wrong. 90% of the time founders are blowing up their companies because they think that's how they're supposed to work. I I think it should be the other way around. I think 10% of the time we should look at each other and go, well, that's weird. What did we do? Like, what didn't we do? Who didn't we support, right? That is the thing that drives me. That's the why that drives me every time something gets harder, every time an investor says to me, well, we don't really know that you have the technology to blah, 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 whatever. It's like, that's okay because I know this needs to change and I'm going to go change it, right? That's the thing that's driving, not money. Money, it just isn't enough to get you out of bed every day. And people think that it is. They think that's the driver, but it never is. I mean, it just never is. No, and it, it's such a false leader for us because we can get really sucked into it. It's either that or fame. So yeah. it's also, you know, you can be, you know, fame and well-known and all those things. And God bless the ones that make it there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they, if, they're do, if they're good people, they can help a lot of others. Absolutely. But, you know, to be famous and rich from building a business as the reason you are, exist is a really interesting place to sit. To yeah. Sit you're not going to retain talent for long term. Yeah. Um, you know, think about the great resignation that we're dealing with today. Just to make sure, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. We have two seconds for yeah. it. Because we're all of our connection to Gallup, uh, which does a lot of that research, uh, the great resignation is mostly happening at companies over 500 employees. So Interesting. granted, it's, re- it's, it's amplifying and reverberating down into our space for sure. Sure, sure. But the businesses that most of us are leading, the ones that are, are listening to us today, are wonderful places to work because you can actually have a stake in the outcome. Your role can actually influence where the business goes. You can feel your impact and you can be have a sense of belonging to something. Yeah. That's all driven by the reason you formed the business in the first place. Yeah. So if you want people to re, to re, you know relieve your business, give them false indicators of wealth and grandeur and all those things. And when that doesn't actually happen because it takes ten years or twelve years to get to ten million. Yep. That's where the wheels come off. So yeah. give them, give, give your team a, a real, real reason to grow their business Yeah. and to come to work each day and be excited about it. And it's amazing how it will, you know, you, you will be able to persevere for a long period of time because of that. And, and I love what you're saying because I work with a lot of smaller, you know, smaller businesses, 20, 30, 40 employees, sub, sub that 10 million a year. And 
they are not having mass exodus, at least the ones that have a really strong why and that and that they have a purpose and you can feel that energy around the purpose, right? And they also don't fight for good employees who could go out and get a lot more money if they went somewhere else because those employees really love what they're doing. And to your point, they feel like they can make an impact and they can they can have a shift, you know, they have a say in what they do matters way more than a bigger paycheck somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, we know a couple things from our data. First of all, compensation and benefits truly do matter for yeah. everybody. Yeah. So you're going to have to pay, you know, people in a competitive. Of course. But you don't have to overpay them. You don't exactly. have to manipulate them. You don't have to promise them things that you can't. But if you combine that with a purpose, and I feel like when I come to work, I've actually changed the outcome of the, of the company or I've. Yeah. Satisfied a customer, whatever those things are. Yep. Um, I'll come there like with uh, fully engaged every day, yeah. and that's really that's really where we want to get our businesses to. And that's, you know, I don't think there's anything that an entrepreneur would ever feel better than to watch a fully engaged workforce Ugh. that's doing the work that you envisioned. I yeah. mean, it doesn't get any better than that on any given day. <laughs> I know. I just got chills when you said that. Oh my gosh, that makes yeah. me so happy. Okay, so are there any resources, podcasts, books? I know you've mentioned a couple so far that you would recommend to our audience um, to sort of continue this conversation for themselves. Yeah, there's some real um, recent ones, and then there's some old ones. Um, if people are readers and thinkers and that kind of thing, I'll start with you know again. This dates me a bit, but a researcher at MIT, her name was Dana Meadows, uh, really built the, the world around systems thinking and she wrote a book called limits to growth uh, dana passed away um, back i think in 2009 or so the limits to growth is really around this capability concept now she was a, a you know the researcher looking at how many people could actually populate the earth <laughs> oh wow and they had built this massive computer model and of course the, it just it just shows the the technology it's kind of like watching a movie where you see people dial a telephone right <laughs> <laughs> so my grandson goes, what, what is that? Pop? What is what that? Is, is that? What is that a toy or what? Is, <laughs> but it is such a seminal piece of work. I think it's, you don't have to read the whole thing, but it gives you this thought that there's a system that we can see within our business. That's the basis of what we do at True Spaces Systems Thinking. So we can see 12 systems in your, in your business. If I fast forward that to really the concept that's most current, and I think the most consistent with the message that you and I had today, um, Simon Sinek has written a book called The Infinite Game. It's easy. Yeah. It's an easy read. Yeah. And it really does help us rationalize and come to terms with this false push of schedule, false push of, of 10Xs and things like that. Yeah. And it really kind of helps you. Kahneman's book on how we think is, uh, uh, or thinking fast and thinking slow is, is also just so perfect for an entrepreneur right now in this, in this kind of day and age. Black Swan's good. Um, if you want another book that kind of helps you think through this. Sunmi Moon is uh, wrote a book called Different. She's one of the, she's the head of marketing at Harvard. It's also a really cool book to back to winning eighty five percent of your deals versus fifteen percent. She's yeah. got some really good stuff there. We've got some really good reports. If you're more of a scientist uh, from our work in, in, at Gallup, I'll offer those free to you guys today um, as well. Uh, our, our research report there. You got to want to look at R squared and a few things because it regresses data, but it gives you this stuff that like. You can really see your business scientifically. You can see it. That. It's like uh, it's it's like your blood pressure. I yeah. can I can actually read your blood pressure. It's, <laughs> uh, you can feel it. I can read it. So anyway, that's, that's kind of where I'd go. I think I know why you asked that question because it's so pertinent to 
uh, business builders. Yeah. If we're not learning it and, and, and finding something every single day, we're losing. Yeah. Whether we learn it from our people, our business, our customers, a book, whatever it is, if you're not getting something every day, you're not building your business. Because there's no static place to stand and say, ah, it's great, I can take a break today. Yeah. There are no breaks to build a business. You don't get one. (laughs) There's no breaks. That's the message. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for all of the wisdom that you have poured into our audience today. It's it's so refreshing hearing transparency and hearing the truth and ha- and being able to embark on the journey as a founder or an entrepreneur with reality in front of you and and not having that stifle your creativity or your excitement, but having it drive you to make better decisions as a founder. So thank you so much for that message. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for bringing people together. Yeah. And if people would have questions or they'd like to get in touch with you um, or maybe their business is in that sort of one million and they'd potentially be good for true space, how do you recommend they get in touch with you or what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. I'm really accessible, by the way, by design. Um, My email is C-F-R-E-D, C-Fred at truespace.com. And, you know, at the very least, take a look at some of our research. I think it informs you that my mission in life is I'm I'm, I'm kind of done getting a business to go build it, to sell it. My daughter and I are building this hopefully with a long, really long path. So yeah, I love we, that. anything that you need, we, we have available and we'd love to share it. And uh, all I want is job growth. That's, that's, that's my mission in life. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Okay, perfect. We'll make sure to include all that in the show notes. Um, thank you so much again for spending time with us today and for your wisdom and just for what you're doing in the world because it makes such a difference. And you have definitely helped shift some of the stuff that we're doing at Precursor in ways that is paying dividends already, even pre-product, pre-revenue. So thank you. You're going to get there. Yeah. All right, right, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at Precursor.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer.